Welcome back to Corbett Report Radio. I'm your host, James Corbett of CorbettReport.com, coming to you as every night from the sunny climes of Western Japan. So once again, thank you for tuning in for tonight's broadcast here on Republic Broadcasting. And yes, for those of you keeping track at home, this will be my last broadcast here until uh, I come back from vacation in June. So thank you especially for tuning in for tonight's episode of Corbett Report Radio, and let's get straight into the meat and potatoes of what we're going to be dealing with tonight, because as we mentioned earlier this week, and when we were talking to Julio Rauseo there in Chicago preparing for the NATO summit, and I certainly hope you will all be following his reporting on that summit as it develops next week, but as we were talking about, it's not just the NATO summit that's coming up, it's not just the G8 summit that will be taking place the days before the, that NATO Chicago summit, it's also the Bilderberg Conference, which will be taking place in Chantilly, Virginia, from the 31st of May to the 3rd of June. And it's going to bring all of the usual crew into town, so to speak, to come together for their annual conclave. They're behind closed door meetings, which will get nothing but the occasional mention in the so-called mainstream media that likes to avoid Bilderberg like the plague because it threatens to expose that there are actually meetings that go on that do have uh, quite a bit more significance than such uh, window dressing as the, uh, the the World Economic Forum in Davos or, or things of that nature, which are admittedly more of a talking shop. But when there are hundreds and hundreds of uh, royalty and captains of industry and very important personages coming together in one spot for a completely secret meeting, which the press has agreed for decades not to really report on, you can bet there are some serious decisions being made. And we have gone over uh, in a lot of my reporting in the past just some of those decisions and and what types of things have gone on in Bilderberg in the past and why it's important for us to follow the Bilderberg conference. So having said that, tonight we're going to be dipping into the CorbettReport.com archive to listen to an interview that I conducted on the eve of the 2009 Bilderberg conference with Tony Gosling, who is the proprietor of Bilderberg.org, an excellent resource site on all things Bilderberg. And uh, it was uh, very interesting to talk to him. He's been researching Bilderberg for, well, 15, uh, 16 years now. It's back it's back in 1996 he founded Bilderberg.org. And uh, since then, he's been painstakingly documenting a lot of the suppressed history of the group, where they came from, their origins, the people behind it, the organizations behind it, etc. So this uh, conversation we're going to be listening to uh, in part tonight, of course, it will only be uh, sections of the interview, the entire episode, uh, the entire interview being available from CorbettReport.com. And we're going to be listening tonight to some of that hidden history about Bilderberg and the people behind it. So I hope you will stay tuned for that. On a different note, I would also like to draw listeners' attention to our old friend Aaron Franz and his website, theageoftransitions.com, where the brand new second edition of his book, Revolve, Man's Scientific Rise to Godhood, is available now for purchase. And yes, yours truly, uh, the ever-to-be-humble James Corbett, did indeed write the foreword to that second edition. So once again, I wholeheartedly recommend that book. It's an incredible book, so I certainly hope that people out there will purchase a copy, support Aaron Franz, and inform yourself and then of course pass it on to others a ton of very very interesting information about the entire transhumanist agenda and how that ties into the greater occult agenda and so many other things besides a fascinating book once again revolve available from the age of transitions.com 
But on that note, we'll take a short break here as uh, we prepare to dip into the archives to listen to this 2009 interview with Tony Gosling. So that's pretty much it for me tonight. I will uh, be back at the end of the episode to lead you out. But until then, please enjoy the interview. And we'll be back with that interview right after these messages. Welcome back to Corbett Report Radio tonight on this Friday night edition as we delve into a 2009 interview that I conducted with Tony Gosling of Bilderberg.org on the occasion of the 2009 Bilderberg conference that was taking place in Greece where we talked about the history and the context of the Bilderberg meeting. A fascinating conversation with a fascinating individual, so I hope you will check out Bilderberg.org for the information that it contains on Bilderberg generally and on the 2012 Bilderberg conference in particular. But let's start off with this conversation, where I begin by asking Tony Gosling about how he came to found Bilderberg.org. Yeah, I mean, it started in 1996. Um, I was actually involved in a land occupation in uh, in London on next to the River Thames, helping organise uh, occupation of a big site, um, which where there was a supermarket planned. And you know, what we did is basically over six months we built these kind of little huts, and uh, it was the little mini eco village. Anyway, one of the uh, it got into the news, and one of the people that came down to visit us on the site said, um, "Now." You know, you're obviously interested in the land problem, but what about the money problem? Um, and, uh, you know, so we had a chat for about 15 minutes or so. And at the end of the conversation, this, this guy said, um, and of course you realise that there's this uh, organisation called Bilderberg that runs the Western world from behind the scenes. And I said, well, I've never heard of these people before. And I was really rather suspicious that this guy was a bit of a nutcase. Anyway, I dutifully sat down and um, wrote down the... Bilderberg and a couple of other things to do with it and and when I got back to the office in Oxford I had access to um, Reuters article database there and I went through just plugged in Bilderberg into there and the stuff that popped popped up on the screen was just enough to make your toes curl because it did seem that that there was these lists were popping up as press releases that actually said confidential press release. Now, I've never ever in my life ever seen a confidential press release before. I mean, you'd think that, you know, if the, if the Bilderbergs are, in, are releasing information to the public, that um, they would want it published. <laughs> um, anyway, so I took some of these um, press releases and lists of names um, and just put them up onto the Internet. And that's really how the, the, start, the, the site began back in 1996. I also got the, the name org. Um, with some help from um, uh, one of Henry Kissinger's... Actually, it's a sister of one of Henry Kissinger's goddaughters. That's uh, that's a fascinating connection. <laughs> it's extremely interesting. So you've been you've been at this for thirteen years now, and you've uncovered an incredible wealth of information. Uh, what kinds of information can people find on the site? Well, I think probably the best thing to do. I mean, first of all, I put the lists of names on there when I get hold of them. And it's probably quite tedious, actually, sometimes just sitting typing them up when you get a fax through from the Bilderberg office. 
Um, but, but I mean, there is there are several sort of snippets of information there, which I think are probably more important than the others, uh, and they can be a bit difficult to find in amongst all the information. But uh, there's one particularly good uh, academic paper, which wasn't actually done as part of a um, uh, as a part of anybody's academic study, but it was done by Professor Mike Peters up at Leeds Metropolitan University who's recently retired, but he, he wrote this paper about Bilderberg, which was really for a kind of satirical magazine that he published. And, um, but it's, it's done in the style of a proper academic paper. But the thing is, as part of it, he's really having a pop at the academics. For example, he, he calls one of the sections of the paper the silence of the academics. And he looks at why it is all these elite institutions around the Western world um, who have these big politics departments and um, international studies departments. None of them really seem to take Bilderberg seriously. Um, so that paper is called um, Bilderberg and the Project for the Europe uh, for, uh, U European Unification is uh, a really interesting academic study of the origins, which looks at the, um, the, the way it, it fitted in, Bilderberg fitted in with the Marshall Plan, with NATO and other, um, th these large power structures that appeared after the Second World War. So, so um, you know, that's actually one of the best things to read, I think, on the entire subject. And, and it also fingers some of the specific p individuals involved in the, in the origins of it, such as um, Prince Bernhard of the Netherlands and um, Joseph Rettinger, who was this uh, aide to General Sikorsky, uh, during the Second World War. Absolutely. Well, the founding and, and uh, the establishment of Bilderberg does go back to some very interesting characters. What can you tell us about some of the people who started the Bilderberg Conference? Well, I mean, actually, it's, 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 there's two stages, really, to the founding of Bilderberg. First of all, uh, it was during the Second World War. We're talking about 1942-43, after the U.S. had entered the war. Uh, it was the Council on Foreign Relations War and Peace Study Groups that originally came up with the idea of, of uh, having something along the lines of Bilderberg to really reinforce U.S. Uh, influence in the Western Europe because they could see that you know, there's, they're basically waiting uh, well before the end of the war trying to make sure that the peace had been kind of organized before it, before it happened. So, so that was yeah. It was definitely the Council of Foreign Relations where where the ideas um, were born. And then, after the Second World War, the end of the forties and early fifties, um, there was there were two these two characters, Prince Bernhard of the Netherlands, who uh, before the war had been in the SS. You know, he was one of the first uh, people to well, one of the original people who joined up uh, enthusiastically to the SS before the war. And then during the war, he married uh, into the Dutch royal family. Um, Bernhard is a really quite a seedy character. Um, he was uh, he was involved in several scandals, including the Lockheed scandal in 1975, which many people will remember. Um, he was, uh, was there was a uh, one of the um, maids in a hotel in Holland discovered a piece of paper which incriminated Bernhard and um, proved that he would he had actually taken a million dollar bribe from Lockheed in order to get the Dutch Air Force to buy starfighters, which were particularly, um, well, they weren't a very good aeroplane, they kept falling out of the sky. And uh, But that's by the by, he'd been proven to take a bribe. And so the 1975 Bilderberg Conference, where which he was uh, supposed to be chairing, was cancelled. 
Um, so Bernhard was involved also as a BBC Radio 4 documentary last year um, pointed out in helping Nazis to uh, get over to South America. So he was also on the board of uh, KLM, Royal Dutch Airlines, and uh, it was shown that uh, it was quite a, a, a frightening connection, really, between Bernhard and helping escaping Nazis. So there is evidence that Bernhard was still kind of embracing this SS mentality, even after he married into the Dutch royal family and become so-called respectable uh, Westerner uh, after the Second World War. So uh, Bernhard died three or four years ago, and um, he was probably the most charismatic and uh, persuasive figure, uh, being a royalty, to be involved. But the, the other guy who was less in the limelight uh, was Joseph Rettinger, who's uh, born, in, I think, in Krakow in Poland uh, before the war. But he was also shown to be working for MI6 during the war, which one would expect, you know, because he was the aide to the Polish leader in exile um, right through the Second World War. And one of the first flights or first uh, journeys that Sikorsky took without Joseph Rettinger was the flight um, which, uh, where he unfortunately died um, when he was flying out of um, Gibraltar. Uh, now, Rettinger, um, there's a lot of stuff being written at the moment in Poland about Rettinger. In Polish, unfortunately, it's not been translated into English yet, um, which shows that Rettinger was a Freemason and um, also that he was uh, an enthusiastic European almost before the European movement had started. So, you know, there's this whole sort of nexus of people who are trying to create a political, a long-term political, um, um, I suppose, their idea of a political solution, which is essentially a kind of United States of Europe. So they're doing this really early on, um, and uh, Rettinger and Bernhard are key people in all this. But, you know, the European movement was uh, something that started in... Uh, just after the Second World War, and, uh, and so Rettinger was one of the key people in that as well. So then right from the founding of the, the group, we have uh, connections to secret societies, to intelligence agencies, and to Nazis. Well, uh, how about some of the other figures that have been associated with the group throughout the decades, and I think, of course, of um, David Rockefeller and people of that uh, character? Well, I think, actually, before we get on to Rockefeller, I think it's also useful to look at, I mean, because anybody can say, oh, well, this X is a Freemason, you know, and that isn't significant because there's loads of Freemasons dotted around everywhere. But, but I mean, one of the things that really convinced me that, that there was a, a close connection between the really the top echelons of Freemasonry um, and, and Bilderberg was dis- discovering in, uh, that in 19, the 1998 um, Bilderberg conference, which was one I looked at really closely, um, because it was the last one to take place here in the UK, and uh, that was in Turnberry in Scotland. Now, doing a, a, again one of these sort of trawls for information, uh, I came across this, the CV of a chap called Andrew Palmer. Now, on that CV, it said I organised, he organised the Bilderberg Conference in 1998. Now, this is interesting. Who is this Andrew Palmer guy? Well, it turns out that Andrew Palmer, uh, I've never even seen a picture of the guy. I couldn't find a picture of him anywhere. But he's also um, the the, uh, private secretary, was the private secretary, to, uh, to the Duke of Kent. And, of course, the Duke of Kent is the Grand Master of United Grand Lodge of the of World Freemasonry. So you can see that there are, you know, there are some, actually some really quite close connections, um, rather than this being sort of speculative. Anyway, Rockefeller, uh, well, I mean, he's the, he's the um, uh, 
the present holder of this uh, this sort of dubious dynasty of uh, super capitalists and and people who seem to have so much money that um, that they're uh, they, they've almost run out of things that they can do with it. And it seems to me what's happened is that some some of these people, these massive corporations, have got so wealthy. And they've had everything they ever wanted, you know, however many yachts, um, girls, or whatever, that, that they're now turning their attention to using that money for political influence and really taking out the two main things which will stop their rise to power as oligarchs, which is the media and democratic politics. Welcome back to Corbett Report Radio. I'm your host, James Corbett of CorbettReport.com, and tonight we're listening to an interview that I conducted back in May of 2009 with Tony Gosling of Bilderberg.org, talking about the history of the Bilderberg Conference and its significance. A very interesting interview, so I hope you will go into the archives of CorbettReport.com to download the interview in its entirety. But tonight we're listening to some representative samples of that conversation, and of course people might be able to cast their mind back to 2009 or 2008 or some of the previous conferences that I've covered at CorbettReport.com to see really how the shape of the reporting about Bilderberg, not only in the alternative media, but also even in the mainstream media, has really changed uh, its nature and contours over the past few years. When I first started covering Bilderberg back in 2008. There was scant attention paid to the conference, even though there were some pretty important things taking place there the last time it was held in Chantilly, Virginia, and uh, Obama and Hillary Clinton had their secret rendezvous at uh, the Bilderberg conference, which the left the mainstream media scratching their heads. Where did they go? Where did they go? Oh, they went down the street from where they were last seen to the uh, to the Bilderberg conference in Chantilly. And, uh, and absolutely, it's interesting to see the way the media has started to at least mention Bilderberg each year, but of course only in the context of calling anyone who talks about it crazy conspiracy theorists for actually wanting to know what these types of people are talking about behind closed doors. Oh, you must think that they actually do something important behind those closed doors, you crazy cookie conspiracy theorist. So let's pick it up from that 2009 interview with Tony Gosling, where I ask him about the media perception and uh, conception of Bilderberg and how how they tried to spin it away as a place where no decisions of any real importance are come to. But for every bombshell piece of information about the underlying geopolitical infrastructure that really governs the world, I think there's a, an equal and opposite uh, corporate spin that's put on that, that um, attempts to undermine that information or make it seem like banal reality, like, the, of course, the old canard that Bilderberg is merely a talking shop and no policy is actually made. I, I think um, the best way to counter that type of spin is to show some examples of the opposite. So what can you tell us about some real policy decisions that have been made at previous Bilderberg conferences? Well, I think, uh, I mean, I think it's, it's fair in a way for Bilderberg to say that they're not, not making policy decisions there. I think the policy decisions are actually made in the Bilderberg Steering Committee, 
or else fed into the Bilderberg Steering Committee because it does seem that there is a, there's, there's not a lot of room for discussion and debate uh, to actually shift the position. What they do do with these conferences, though, and this is another thing to stress, is that not everybody that goes to a Bilderberg conference is convinced by them by any means because they use the conferences as a way to sort of glitz powerful and influential people who aren't already on board with this whole sort of European globalization free market project. Um, and you'll find that some of the people that go along just, you know, really don't, <laughs> don't agree with them. I mean, you know, it's the best thing in the world to, to glitz people is to have these royalty kind of charming you and saying, oh, well, you do agree with Mr. Kissinger on this, don't you? Uh, and that's really one of the, one of the, one of the powerful things about, about the conference. But no, I, I actually do think that the uh, policy is really sounded out there. That's much more what they do. Uh, what they're doing is they're bringing lots of these people together and also a smattering of people who don't necessarily agree with um, the war on terror and this kind of thing in order to try and sound them out, see if this person's going to be uh, on board with the project or not. And that's, I think, one of the things they do with um, um, people they think have the potential to be uh, head of state or prime minister in, in future years, as we've seen with, with Blair and Clinton and others. Yes, that's right. In fact, a number of politicians have uh, gone to meteoric rises after having attended Bilderberg, and you mentioned Blair and Clinton. Are there any well, others also, that come to we, mind? We also had, well, I mean, it was interesting that John Smith, who was the Labour leader, the opposition leader here in Britain, uh, before Blair, back in the, the early 90s, actually went along to a Bilderberg conference. And I've heard anecdotally that um, uh, John Smith tragically died of a heart attack um, just before Mr. Well, in, in Mr. Blair's rise to, rise to power, I think it was '93 or '94. Um, but anyway, uh, I mean, he was very much against the Bilderberg point of view, and um, he, he didn't survive. It was it really strange. I mean, many people can speculate that as to whether uh, there was some sort of Bilderberg hand in the death of, uh, of John Smith, but uh, it certainly was a little bit. It felt. Uh, you know, for me, as, as someone looking back on that, I thought, well, this is a bit peculiar, isn't it? Here is a, the, you know, the, the, the future leader of Britain, quite feasibly, going to a Bilderberg conference, disagreeing with them, um, and saying, no, no, I don't agree with this kind of uh, economic, macroeconomic policy. It's not going to work. And, uh, and then finding that he doesn't actually make it through to uh, um, the next conference. He's dead, and Mr. Blair's there instead. And I found that all a little bit weird, but um, you know, I think I think the uh, the fact is that they do uh, check these people out, potential leaders. They don't want anybody to get into a really really powerful position in the Western world um, unless they've been uh, through one of these kind of Bilderberg grillings and and passed the tests, uh, because there is. Uh, an illusion of democracy going on in the West, as many people in the West are now aware of, where where we're basically given uh, a choice between two people who basically agree the same thing or very similar things. And so there's no real plurality in our political discourse in most of the Western countries anymore. And this, of course, is compounded by this kind of compliant, complicit, and ever-shrinking number of outlets for the me uh, media. Um, so, I mean, I think that it's important to understand Bilderberg in that, in that context of an organization which is not actually making the policy at the Bilderberg meeting, but uh, using the meeting to uh, sound out opinion as a kind of uh, sort of secret um, internal PR event, really.
Welcome back to the program. You're tuned into Corbett Report Radio here on Republic Broadcasting, and I am James Corbett of CorbettReport.com. If you're just joining us tonight, we are discussing the upcoming Bilderberg Conference, the 2012 Bilderberg Conference that will be taking place from May 31st to June 3rd in Chantilly, Virginia, not too far from Washington. So certainly it should be an interesting conference, as it always is. And uh, it does present the opportunity for a lot of listeners out there in the audience in the United States and uh, maybe even Canada to be able to descend on Chantilly to make their voices heard about what's happening in Bilderberg. And on that note, let's pick up our conversation. Once again, we're listening to a conversation that I had back in 2009 with Tony Gosling on the occasion of the 2009 Bilderberg conference, which was eventually held in Greece. And we were talking about some of the uh, the history and the ramifications of this conference. And uh, in this part of the uh, the clip, we start to talk about the, uh, the the interesting atmosphere that people can experience when they actually go to a Bilderberg conference. Once again, this was being uh, recorded back in 2009, so we're talking specifically about that conference, but uh, obviously it applies to all of the conferences that are held each year in either a European or North American uh, city not too far from a capital. So let's continue listening to our conversation with Tony Gosling. Very interesting. And also, it's my understanding that last year's uh, conference was held in the U.S., although most of the Bilderberg analysts were expecting it to be held in Europe um, uh, due to conventions. But I, I understand that perhaps one of the reasons it was held in the U.S. is because the U.S. corporate media could be relied on to cover up the Bilderberg proceedings. Uh, what can you tell us about that uh, interpretation? Well, I think that's quite feasible because we've had this kind of thing over the years, since the 1950s. Uh, I think it's usually two or three conferences in Europe and then one in the US, and it's followed that pattern quite, um, you know, consistently through the decades. And it's only recently we've seen the situation where um, that where we've had, um, you know, more of the meetings taking place in the US. Now there are quite clearly um, secu- big security concerns at these conferences. We've got all these rich, powerful people, many of whom are, um, you know, clo- very close to being um, fascistic-type oligarch characters, that there is likely to be uh, quite legitimate political protests at these, at these conferences, So, um, especially because the, the, there's little media coverage. But, but I mean, the... The, uh, there are all sorts of reasons why it's better to keep these in the U.S. Because, first of all, because it actually is mainly a U.S. organized, it always was, you know, it was the Council on Foreign Relations that, that started the thing. Um, and in a way, they, what they've been trying to do over the years is to hold these conferences in Europe, chaired by Europeans. And, of course, most, if not all, of the chairs of the conferences have been Europeans, Prince Bernhard, uh, Peter Carrington and present chair is uh, Etienne Davignon. Um, so to give a kind of illusion that this has come some kind of European event, uh, and to, and of course with the royalty there too, uh, and to get away from the idea that this is actually a U.S. organized, um, you know, sort of corporate U.S. organized um, influence project over Europe. So that is becoming more and more difficult. I'm glad to say, as more people become aware of the Bilderbergs meet, meet meetings and the fact that these people really do control most of the money in the Western world, um, and you know, the, 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 there's been all sorts of attempts over the years to try and pretend that oh well, it's just a you know a bunch of uh, obscure bankers. Well, if you actually actually look at the the people who are there, this is the the representatives of the central banks. 
and um, the, the Federal Reserve, the Bank of England, um, the European Central Bank. I mean, we're talking about all of the major bankers in the Western world are there, and also those from uh, places like the Bank for International Settlements, which is not very well known about bank based in Switzerland, where all the central banks meet. So, you know, it is, it is definitely, uh, you know, a, a very... A very, very influential group of people. It's just a question of if they can manage to pass this organisation off as some kind of benefit to Europeans. Absolutely. And I think that's, what, that's, why, that's why it's been, uh, I think, uh, they've had to have these conferences in the US because they're worried that uh, it will become transparent, tr- transparent through the media coverage um, that this organisation is really bad for Europe. Well, absolutely, and I think, of course, uh, it's also recently um, been uh, openly admitted that Bilderberg was one of the staging events for the uh, European Union process and the European uh, Eurozone creation. So, um, well, let's let's move on. I, you mentioned earlier that uh, Bilderberg.org forum is a great source of information for uh, uh, including leaks about the Bilderberg conference, and uh, again, I would suggest any of my listeners who haven't done so go and check out Bilderberg.org's forum for some extremely knowledgeable sources uh, analyzing the upcoming Bilderberg 2009 conference. Uh, what can you tell us about so far about what your uh, intelligence has uncovered about the Bilderberg 2009 conference? Well, I mean, it's, uh, it's, um, it looks like it's going to be in Greece uh, in a couple of weeks' time. Um, it's really difficult to know. I mean, there's all sorts of discussions on there happening at the moment, but, I mean, everybody's kind of speculating about what will be um, on, the, on the agenda, but I mean, we just don't know what's going to be on the agenda until the press release comes out from the Bilderberg office, which generally does, I mean, you know, there there is a little bit of real information comes out in that press release about the topics for the seminars and things in there. Um, And, you know, I just think that that's that. The other thing to point out, of course, is that we get these lists that come out every year out out of the Bilderberg office in Leiden in Holland. Um, and, you know, this this is a list of all these powerful, rich and powerful people, but there are definitely people that go to these conferences that aren't on the list. Um, I mean, you know, having actually been along to a couple of conferences and covered them, you know, um, videoed people and that sort of thing, taking photographs, writing reports, actually on the scene, um, the... The, uh, the the photographs and, and all that sort of stuff, yeah. when you're actually there, you realise that there are different ways that the guests arrive, okay? So they mostly arrive on the Friday afternoon as the conference is starting, but the steering committee arrives first. So you get uh, you get Kissinger, Rockefeller, and people like this are turning up. But you do get, during the conference, uh, a whole load of limousines appearing, which have got a totally blackened out glass, and that they go maybe round the back of the hotel, or they go to a place where you just can't see who's going in there. So you can see that there's a potential to have all sorts of people going to these conferences which are who aren't on the list, which is really frustrating and irritating. I mean, I know for a fact that we've had... I mean, last year we had um, um, Obama and Hillary Clinton going along to the Bilderberg meeting, and they weren't on the list. And this was the, the time at which that same weekend the Bilderberg conference was taking place, it was announced that Hillary Clinton wouldn't be running um, for the Democratic um, nomination for the... Um, uh, for president at the same weekend at the same conference so you can see that there is this kind of you know some key decisions are actually made at the conference how can they say that these important decisions aren't made uh, at, at the conferences so 
I mean, I just find that, I find it really frustrating. I mean, for another example is uh, at the Turnberry Conference in 1998 in, in the UK, uh, I spoke to the woman who served Tony Blair his breakfast on uh, Saturday morning. Now, he was clearly at the conference, um, so why is he not on the list? So we have a kind of smokescreen as well. This press release that they send out every year is a bit of a smokescreen. Uh, so I'm afraid I just have to answer Mew. I don't really, I don't know for sure what they're going to be discussing at this conference. All I can tell you is it's really important that everybody keeps their ears open for leaks because we find very often that um, there are extremely significant stuff is revealed as being discussed at Bilderberg and being mooted at Bilderberg uh, before it happens, such as uh, the uh, 2002 conference. Was There were all these leaks coming out after the conference uh, about um, the West pursuing uh, an actual invasion and war with Iraq, and everyone was sort of throwing their arms up. What on earth are they talking about? This can't be serious. And, of course, before the next Bilderberg conference took place, uh, Iraq was actually invaded. I mean, I, I found myself gobsmacked, really, that that that, um, that these people can have the cheek to say, oh, we, we don't make any decisions at these conferences, it's only a talking shop, when something so significant as a major war crime, uh, certainly an illegal war, has taken place. And the first, that it was really well known that uh, what big powerful western people not western leaders not democratically elected ones have been discussing this was at the 2002 bilderberg conference absolutely yes absolutely stunning some of the things which are uh, talked about in bilderberg and which um, eventually become reality um well do you have any plans personally to attend this year's conference this one in athens probably not no uh, i mean i tend to um to try and sort of assimilate stuff on the internet um and I mean, if, I think if we have another one here in the UK, then uh, I definitely will attend it, or if it's a bit closer by. Um, but um, I, I find it's probably just as useful for me to be here on the internet um, assimilating reports. But I do think it's important for anybody that's uh, got the time and resources, the money to actually go along to one of these conferences, to just go along, take a few days off, take a, lot, a long weekend, take your camera, and... Um, and your uh, mini notebook or whatever it is, your little mini laptop, and write some reports. You know, chat to the staff around the hotel before and after, go and visit the hotel, and you'll find that uh, there's actually a tremendous amount. I mean, I've found, for example, you see, people seem to think that this is some sort of big, scary conference. Actually, you'll find a lot of the staff are very sympathetic to the press, more sympathetic to the press than you might necessarily expect. I mean, some of them are very, very tight-lipped and obedient, but you also get staff who will come out and say, oh, yeah, well, they were talking about this, they were talking about that, because they just, they realise that what's going on in there is some kind of conspiracy, a cabal, and um, that they um, can see it as possible for them to do a small bit for democracy, uh, for freedom, by walking out and speaking to some journalists about stuff they've overheard. The other thing, of course, is that you also get plenty of participants who are also unhappy about it, particularly the politicians. I mean, I'm not being the only person in the world who's sort of talking up politicians, but you find particularly European politicians who are also very unhappy about the idea of this kind of degree of secrecy for something which is such an important think tank. I mean, essentially that's what Bilderberg is. It's a think tank, but it's the, the think tank, and it's the think tank which uh, a lot of the most influential ideas seem to come out because they're backed by so much money. So I really would encourage, you know, anybody who's up 
up, uh, has got a bit of spare time and a bit of spare money on their hands. It's a brilliant experience going along to one of these conferences, as I've had done several times myself. And the other thing is, of course, that you have a fantastic every evening, the Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday night, uh, and th- Thursday as well sometimes. You, you have a fantastic time uh, at, at the Alternative Hotel with Jim Tucker from American Free Press and various other journalists from around the world having a really good cut and thrust discussion and debate about world politics because quite clearly the journalists that go along to Bilderberg and the amateur researchers that go along to Bilderberg if they're not plants or spies are there because they're probably some of the most switched on thinkers and writers in the world Switched on indeed. Well, once again, that is Tony Gosling of Bilderberg.org. If you haven't checked out that website, I would suggest you do so. And perhaps the first place to go would be the big link at the top to go to the uh, guest book slash forum. I think you should take a look in there. That's where pretty much every year for the last four or five years, I have found the where the Bilderberg conference is going to be before any other website reports on it. There's usually a hunt the Bilderberg type uh, situation that goes on there with a few of the old timers who know the score and know how to uh, how to suss out where Bilderberg is going to be held. Once again, they did it this year, finding it would be in Chantilly, Virginia, once again, 31st of May, 1st of June, uh, there at the Westfields Marriott. So once again, for people in the United States and uh, North America and, hey, why not, around the world who consider yourself to be switched-on thinkers, perhaps you can go and meet other like-minded souls who are going to be there to protest this year's meeting. And uh, and you can get some more information about that from thenewamerican.com, which had a recent article, Protests Planned for Bilderberg Meeting, and I'll just read a bit of that. Quote, as reported this week by the New American, the Bilderbergers are rumored to be returning to Virginia at the end of the month. Reports indicate that the globalist group will be meeting in Chantilly, Virginia, from May 31st to June 3rd at the West Marriott Westfield's Washington Dulles Hotel and Conference Center. But the Bilderbergers will not be alone. They will be followed by an organized opposition group that intends to expose the Bilderbergers and their insidious agenda. OccupyBilderberg.org explains, Occupy the real 1% closer to 0.01%. In the year 2012, Truth Exposed Radio, We Are Change San Antonio, and Funkmaster 5 are uniting activist groups from around the world to finally expose the Bilderberg Group in Chantilly, Virginia, May 31st until June 3rd. The Occupy Bilderberg 2012 Facebook page shows that nearly 500 people have agreed to attend the protest against the Bilderberg Group, while almost 350 have responded that they are considering it. Almost 17,000 people have received invites overall. Chantilly, Virginia is where the Bilderbergers have held their last two U.S. conferences in 2002 and 2008, the latter having drawn a significant number of protesters as well. Alternative media outlets across the web are calling upon informed individuals to protest outside the Bilderberg meeting at the end of May and voice their opposition to the Bilderberg agenda. Warischrime.com, for example, writes, The oil cartels, banking interests, heads of state, and even a majority of the major corporations who are on the board with CISPA the internet censorship bill, will be represented at the meeting. If there was ever a chance to point out every head on the Hydra in one protest, this is it. Those affiliated with the Occupy Wall Street protests and the NATO summit protests have already received invitations to attend the Bilderberg protests, reports Russia Today. 
And I'll let you continue reading that article. It goes on and on about the various protests that are shaping up in preparation for this Bilderberg 2012 conference. And it does dovetail nicely uh, by engineering, I'm sure, with the NATO and G8 summits. The G8 summit taking place May 19th, 20th uh, in Camp David, and then the NATO summit uh, the days following in Chicago. So the major players and key heads of state and key uh, government officials are already going to be in town, so to speak. So why not just pop over to Chantilly on their way out of the country and pop into the Bilderberg conference? So undoubtedly some big power players will be in attendance at this year's conference. Already some speculation that uh, potential Romney running mate Rubio will be in attendance at the Bilderberg conference to help woo the crowd the way Edwards managed to woo his way onto the Kerry ticket back in 2004 by giving a stirring speech at Bilderberg, which is one of those examples of how uh, Bilderberg has been an important game-setting, uh, policy-changing type place where uh, it's now admitted that Edwards' speech at Bilderberg, I mean, even the mainstream press writes about how Edwards' Bilderberg speech was what got him on the Kerry ticket back in 2004. But I guess we're not supposed to care about these type of things until the Wall Street Journal blithely announces it years later. At any rate, this is an excellent opportunity to steal the momentum of the Occupy meme and to turn it towards a protest that I think is at least important, if not in the fact that it will actually change anything that goes on at the Bilderberg Conference, although it actually might, given the fact that these uh, protests in previous years, especially at the last one in Chantilly, have uh, probably demonstrably upset proceedings at the Westfield uh, Marriott there, where uh, the absolute incredible noise of the the megaphones and things that that people brought was probably enough to disrupt the conference. But even if it doesn't necessarily disrupt what they're talking about in their little meeting, at the very least, it does help to inform others about the Bilderberg Group in general. And on that note, we'll be back to wrap things up here on the Friday night edition of Corbett Report Radio right after these messages. To see if I still feel I focus. Here we are back in the closing minutes of tonight's edition of Corbett Report Radio here on the Republic Broadcasting Network. I'm your host, James Corbett of CorbettReport.com, thanking you for joining me for another week of broadcasts here on the program. Another very interesting week with a wide range of guests and some very, very important news uh, coming up in the coming weeks with the NATO Chicago Summit and the uh, Camp David G8 and the Bilderberg Conference. So much of uh, real, real world historical importance taking place at this point in time. But having said that, of course, as you will know by now, I'm going to be away on vacation for the next three weeks. I'm going to be heading out this weekend. So absolutely, I implore you to stay tuned to Corporate Report Radio here on Republic Broadcasting every night at 11 p.m. Central. That's 12 midnight Eastern, 9 p.m. Pacific and uh, 1 p.m. in the afternoon for those of you out here in Japan like myself. But uh, as I've said before, there's going to be guest hosts while I'm away, no rebroadcasts. It's going to be all new programming. From Monday night, it's going to be Stefan Molyneux of freedomainradio.com, 
Tuesday night, John Rappaport of nomorefakenews.com. Wednesday night, Holland van den Neuenhoff of anobelie.com. Thursday night, James Evan Pilato of mediamonarchy.com. And Friday night, Richard Andrew Grove of tragedyandhope.com. Uh, I think a very interesting lineup of guest hosts, and I myself am going to be interested to hear what they come up with, and uh, so I hope you will be tuning in for that as well. As I said before, they'll probably not have much, if any, internet access while I'm away, so no updates to the website and no updates to the radio RSS feed or anything like that. Uh, if you want to stay tuned with the radio program, I suggest that you listen live on republicbroadcasting.org, or of course you can go into the RBN archives if you are an RBN member. And on that note, uh, that's going to be pretty much it for, for me uh, for the month of May. So as always, I'm looking forward to recharging my batteries and getting back to uh, to the thick of things, and there will be a lot to talk about when I come back. On, on the uh, uh, first week in the first week of June, and on that note, the first week of June will also represent the fifth anniversary of the Corbett Report, which started back on the first of June, two thousand seven. And so, the fifth anniversary is a, a pretty momentous achievement, I must say, for someone who never ever expected to even start a website, let alone to do this full time and to have a radio program that goes around the world on the internet and uh, YouTube with 27,000 subscribers, etc., etc. Just the incredible amount of uh, uh, reach and scope of what the Corporate Report has become has really overwhelmed me. So I'm going to uh, take a moment to celebrate that when I come back, the fifth anniversary of this uh, this media endeavor to try to crack through the uh, the matrix programming grid and i think we've had some successes so let's celebrate some of them and on that note there's going to be a, uh, a special surprise when i come back for the first week of broadcasts on corporate report radio in the first week of june so i hope you will definitely be back in tune for that and i will say no more at the moment but uh, it should be interesting on that note, thank you, as always, for all your support. And uh, as always, I'm looking forward to talking to you all again in June. So until then, thank you all for listening and take care.